butter beans and you cross the table Eating them beans and making love as long as I am able Hoeing corn and cotton too Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio it's Chef Tom Douglas. And Terry Rotturo, the chef in the hat. Recently returning from Portugal. That is correct. And uh, Puglia. Perugia. Perugia. <laughs> Did you have a lot of chocolate over there, or is it too hot for chocolate? No, truffles. Truffles. Chocolate truffles. truffles. Truff- no, no. Truffles Mushroom truffles. And Fungus chocolates. truffles. Oh, really? Yes. Congratulations. Yeah, that was, that was uh, I think I got my load of truffle for the year now. I mean, that's like You truffle. ate that many, you mean? Oh, yeah. There was truffle everywhere. Oh, in summer, the middle of summer. End of summer truffle. Huh, I'll be darned. They were pretty tasty. Yeah, usually they have no flavor this time of year. No, no, they were, they were, this is like the end of the summer, so it's actually very tasty. They're perfectly ripe. Lovely. Well, it's good to have you back. Very good Loretta to be back. sat in for you last week. Bridget sat in for you the week before. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. They don't sound like you. They're not from Sheboygan. Did they, did like they win are. the trivia? I guess Bridget must have won the trivia. Of course she did. <laughs> not. Um, we have a guest producer here today, Becky Guzak. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Hello. Uh, she's going to be here for at least the next six weeks. And uh, also in the past has done some of our trivia contest here on the show. So uh, you're, you took that on today. It's going to be Portuguese in nature because you just came back from Portugal. Yep. Did anyone else here go to Portugal? Because everyone (laughs) I seem to know, my sister's there now, manager from Edis is there right now. It's like, what the heck? Everybody you know. And yet, I didn't see anybody I knew. (laughs) Oh, really? Not once? Oh, how funny. That's funny. It did seem like it this summer. Uh, You had a ball? I had a wonderful time. Yeah. We started in Madrid, then went down to Salamanca, down the Douro River on a boat, biked every day. Porto and Lisbon. It was amazing. Huh. Yeah. Biked every day. Well, they, it, <laughs> it, it wasn't my idea of vacation. There was electrical. Why you, go, electric bike why you go to a foreign country to work so hard? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you supposed to be like, on a river cruise or something? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> at cocktail every day starting at two. Uh-huh. Uh, you're listening to us here on the Hot Stove Radio Show on Cairo. Uh, we have lots of things coming up here at the Hot Stove, which we always do. Last night I cooked a dinner for a group. A business group, uh, and God, we had a ball. They wanted an Italian wine tasting, so we, I got out my magnums of wine that I, I keep around for special occasions, and we, we drank three different Barolos and Barbarescos. Wow. And, ooh, so good. Uh, upcoming classes here at the Hot Stove. Dumpling Fest is happening the 26th, 29th, and 30th, and uh, with lots and lots of different dumplings from around the world. We're going to enjoy that. Uh, cook the Eucalyptus Cookbook. You know, we had Chef Moshe Basson on couple of weeks ago to uh-huh. talk about his new book and he is going to be here on friday october the 13th to cook from that book if you look it up online it's really fascinating to me it's old family recipes from the middle east uh, I, I don't want to say israeli or palestinian or whatever because it's a mashup of all those kind of family recipes right. uh, molten chocolate cakes everyone loves one of those on october the 14th so uh, check that out and of course our italian intensive is coming up that's a commitment that's all day on Saturday, the 21st of October. It's a good time to maybe get a hotel room here at the Andra, the beautiful hotel Andra. The 21st of October, you're doing October. all Italian all, all day. All Italian all day. Wow. So it's going to be super fun. On today's show, we're going to get some thoughts from Terry and Becky on Portuguese restaurants. I wouldn't know where to begin, honestly. I don't really know what Portuguese food is off the top of my head. I can't really explain it, so I'm curious about that. And then I'm also curious, maybe in another segment, to talk about the markets, because... When I go to Portugal and I stay in a house, I love to shop at the markets and cook and 
have friends over. Usually when I'm in Paris or London, and you always do run into people that you know. Right. It's the funniest thing. Yeah. And then you invite them for dinner if you have a house, and you, you cook. It's, it's super cool. Charlie's Produce, cultivating fresh. Uh, Abigail is going to be with us to talk about the, talk about the Helio brand of cold-pressed juices. Uh, food in the news, you know, Chef, uh, I have a couple of questions for you. Okay. About food in the news. So okay. one is, I was reading an article about what chefs are okay with buying frozen at the grocery store. And even maybe sometimes what they prefer. And it kind of struck me, it's like, I bet people don't know chefs are like, they're perfectly willing to buy certain things frozen, but other things, absolutely not. Right. So we're going to talk about that later in the show. Part two, we got a lot of good response about our series with Grace Lin from her new book, Chinese Menu, the history, myths, and legends behind your favorite American Chinese foods. I tell you, I am fascinated. I'm in love with Grace Lin. I, I love Chinese menus. I love that she has dug into these from several different directions, not uh-huh. just what you see in front of you, but how it got there. And uh, we had a lot of good response uh, on our email about her segment last week. We've got six more segments to go. Sam Spillman's going to be here from Cafe Vida. Our Portuguese-themed trivia challenge today. Is that true, Becky? That's true. If you've been to Portugal, you can get it. But if you haven't, are you... Are you, you You're going to do great. Okay, I'm going to do good. Uh, Chef Terry, your <laughs> taste of the week. Don't give away our Portuguese segment. Did you make something since you've been back that you were craving? Yes, I took the tomato soup that I made, uh, tomato, yeah, tomato soup bisque uh-huh. that I made before I left. Before I left, I was fortunate enough to have Alice Wong from uh, Darrington, my, my farmer, who used to bring us tomato and all kind of fruit and vegetables. And she gave me a case of overripe tomato. So obviously I was about to leave for two weeks. I'm like, yeah. okay, I need to process this. So I processed that and uh, put it in the freezer in quartz. And I had seven quarts of them. And the, f- I, the whole time I was, on, I was on vacation in Portugal and Italy, I was like, Oh, this would go good with my soup. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, all that seafood you showed me, that would be <laughs> no. perfect. Yeah. yeah. So I came back and the first thing I did was take a quart out. And all I did was go in the backyard. My basil was still alive. I'm like, whack the basil, make a little pesto and put that over that soup, the tomato soup, basil pesto and a little grated goat cheese. Not grated, but crumbled. And a beautiful piece of uh, uh, grain bread. Uh-huh. I was in heaven. Yeah, I knew I was home. Awesome. A little olive oil on reason, top. I can say, can, yeah, yeah, good olive oil too. Mm-hmm. That's my taste of the week. Use your tomato, put them away, do whatever you can with it. But you only have a few more days left. Apparently, it's gonna. If you look at the weather forecast after two days from now, it's, they're putting at fifty-five degrees and rain every single. I know day. they said something about an atmospheric river. We haven't had rain in four months, and all of a sudden we have an atmospheric river coming our direction. So. Uh, good luck. Hope everyone survives that. Yeah. Uh, my taste of the week is, uh, you know, I've been, um, my daughter is prolific at knocking out grandchildren. And um, I've been taking Hercules to Chinooks once in a while with them. And I just have to throw it out there because I don't know that our restaurants are the best with kids. Like we don't, we take kids certainly and we do our best, but I don't know that anyone handles them as well as Chinooks does. The place is kid-proof, essentially, and uh-huh. he has a ball there. They've got kid stuff on the menu. We go out and look at the boats. Chinook's over at Fisherman's Terminal. It's not the kind of place, you know, as what I like about it, you can get wine and whiskey and <laughs> all that kind of good stuff, but uh, it is, uh, it's one of those places I think gets a little bit forgotten because it's over there on the Fisherman's Terminal and right. not easily seen by the rest of the city. But I just want to throw it out that they do a really nice job. They're really friendly. Uh, they take care of the kids and us all at the same time. And the people that work there, 
The bartender was there 43 years. Our server was there 35 years. Another server right next to him, 35 years. They take care. Uh, the, the people that are there have been there a long, long time. Can you believe if you made a batch of whiskey that Yuri started? It'd be delicious right now. <laughs> 43 year aged, exactly. Coming up, Chef Terry and Becky are going to share their thoughts on Portuguese restaurants. What to order, when to order, how to order, all that good stuff on Cairo Radio, the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Here in the kitchen at the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. And I'm feeling a little left out today, Chef. Uh, you've yeah. been gone for two weeks and you visited uh, different parts of Europe, including Portugal. Becky, our guest producer, has been gone for a few weeks. I, I said, are you ready to get started on the show? Well, you know, I'll be back on the 18th from Portugal and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. My sister, I was calling my sister down at the Emergency Food Network. She's the director down there in Tacoma. Uh-huh. And uh, oh no, she's out right now. She's in Portugal and Spain. I <laughs> uh, called Gretchen, my manager down at Sea uh, Town and, and Etta's. Oh no, Gretchen's off this week. She's in Portugal and Spain. <laughs> Someone sounds a little bitter. I'm bitter, but you were busy taking care of Grammy. But here's the good thing: I was I'm bittersweet. Oh. Oh, that's very nice. <laughs> uh, yes, I was taking care of uh, grandchildren, including Hercules. Uh, that's the one in my pocket right now. The other two are little egg rolls. You can't even, there's nothing much to do so with them. So cute. But swaddle them and feed them. Tell us, tell us about your trip. Becky, why don't you get started? Sure. Well, uh, I had a lot of fun biking through vineyards and in the Douro River Valley, olive trees, cork, oh. just, and the thing about biking, it wasn't e-bike, but the thing about biking is you get to just go 30, 40 miles and see all this slowly uh-huh. and you know, just nose breathing, taking it all in and meeting wonderful people. Um, and then some city time as well, which was super fun. Did you get in the middle of some of the drama that's going on with olive oil right now? Over I did there? not. Did you hear about it? Was no, it chatter? No, I did not. What is that? Well, it's gone up in price a hundred percent because, uh, I guess it's a third year in a row of drought in that oh. area and the heat, excessive heat, and it's just killing the production. So. I can't believe it. Is it I just Portugal that. or is it all everywhere? Spain, mostly Spain. Spain, Spain. Yeah. yeah. Which is a huge production. Oh, it's the biggest in the world. And, you know, normally they put it out on the table and they'll help yourself, blah, blah, sure, blah. Sure, sure. <laughs> Not so much that anymore. Yeah, you know, even in Italy, they're slowing down on that. Yeah, exactly. And, Chef, how about you? Uh, for me, I was in a town called Cascai, which is just 20 minutes south of. Uh, Lisbon, straight on the Atlantic coast, beautiful little touristic town. Very, very. It used to be very small. Obviously, it's grown tremendously because it's a hot spot. Beautiful town to walk in. Uh, tons of small little restaurants, uh, mom and pop restaurant, uh, which is always interesting when you walk into one of those because English is not necessarily language. Mm-hmm. Thank God I can speak Spanish. And French, because once you mix the three together, you get some words out. <laughs> you get out. Portuguese, right? <laughs> you get some words out. Is they, it Portuguese like a Spanish and French mixture? No, there's no, no French. In, there's no, no French No involved. French in Portuguese. Okay. It's mostly, uh, I would say, Latin and something else. I'm not quite sure what the second one is. But uh, anyway, very friendly people. Extremely welcoming. 
very humble. Uh, the food is very simple in, in more ways than one. Mm -hmm. My first restaurant that we went to was a restaurant that was right on the, on the harbor of Kaskai and um, very hard to find. It was in a mall where there was nothing going on downstairs. Everything was, was closed and we're like, we must be in the wrong place. And then we finally asked with a broken Spanish and English and whatever. <laughs> and the guy said, no, it's upstairs. So we went upstairs and boom, a full restaurant. Uh -huh. <laughs> Packed. <laughs> Packed. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, how did this happen? Um, the kind of restaurant that you see uh, much more in Europe than you do here, where the whole intent of the restaurant is all seafood with a steak. Always, there is always a steak mm -hmm. on the, available, mm -hmm. but all, mostly all seafood. And um, you enter the restaurant and you have a case about... 25 foot long of nothing but seafood raw that was of the day on the ice. You so it's just like you're at the Pike Place Market. but Just there, like but, you're at Pike Place Market. But just one, one except of Except there's a chef six. at the end yeah. <laughs> who cooks the food you want. <laughs> mm -hmm. so it's really, really, really cool. So you pick your own barnacles and cockles and mussels and uh, different size of clams and langoust, you know, like mini lobsters, I mean, all kinds of different things that you'd never see here, for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, I had the most uh, attractive dish I had that night was, by far, little clam. They were no bigger than... A quarter? Uh, what size? Oh, not even. Not even a quarter. Like, but, and they were a little bit elongated. You uh -huh. know, they were not quite round. But a whole bowl of that, you know, there was probably 100, 200 of them in there. So delicious, tender, buttery, like, oh, melts in your mouth and very tasty. And... Uh, very simply down, just a little bit of sherry, a little butter, down. That was, that was the, the basic of the dish. No herbs, nothing, just by itself. So good. So good. So tasty. I don't remember the Portuguese name for those little clams, but uh, they were everywhere. Right. And it, there was a restaurant in Lisbon that had everything on ice, but then tanks. And they would bring you the fish? big, the, not the fish, but the big um, Crab. crabs yeah. and yeah. prawns and lobster and show you and you could hold them it was kind of yeah. novel but it was it was great and we decided that we preferred boiled versus grilled on Why? the large ponds. i thought so too it was yeah. moister yeah instead oh. of kind of that dried out bit mm -hmm. it was just more moist and with a ton wow. of butter and olive oil and oh so good yeah except for the uh the, the langoustine they had langoustine which is that big shrimp mm -hmm. which is sometimes hard to find very yeah, yeah. and they had those and those on the grill were pretty damn tasty because yeah. uh -huh. they didn't cook them. They didn't overcook them. The grill, the problem with the grill is if you, if you leave them on there, it gets really rubbery and dry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when you go to a Portuguese restaurant, um, is it set up like they are here? I mean, I've never been to Portugal, so I'm assuming it's very European. And so you uh, order some appetizers and some entrees and it's They very have a typical. lot of share plate, meaning that they, they do really well with, if you're a group, we were a group of six, and they do really well at uh, recommending dishes that you can share between everybody. Mm -hmm. So you order one or two for the table, and you share all that. And right. then one or two. Because that ice, that ice <coughs> fish table that you showed, I mean, it, it must have had 25 or 30 different varieties of fish in there. Right. And one was huge. I mean, you'd have to buy that for the whole table. No, no, no. You don't buy the whole fish. You buy, how many, you buy portions. Ah. So they cut the fish. Like a turbo, they don't give you a whole turbo. They give you how many, how many portions do you want? So one portion is about, mm -hmm. I think a portion is six ounces. <clears throat> so how many portions do you want? So they cut the portion of the fish, and then they make the dish okay. with that. And then uh. all the dish come with, uh, so they, was, they, had, they had a sauteed green, and I was not able to decipher 
what it was. What Karina was. <laughs> I, was I couldn't tell. And I was asking, and I had no idea what the guy was telling me because I couldn't understand. What, I couldn't find the word right. anywhere. And I was like, this Becky, is, is, it, is it like some of the rest of Europe where it's hard to find a vegetable or a salad? Um, actually, I was really surprised how many greens we had. Uh. They had beautiful lettuces. Don't know why. On like, the menu, or did you have to um, ask for them separate? On the menu. Huh. Yeah, on the menu. But I do, your point about sharing was huge. We, we were a group of eight. And we would do the same thing. We'd order two lobster, two prawns, two things of yeah. clams, and then we'd just order more if we needed them. Yeah. But, and bread. And shared you know, everything. Yeah. Fresh bread was bread. so good. Ooh, there was some good bread overall in Portugal. I had some very good bread. I was impressed by that because I wasn't, I wasn't on the radar of breads. And it's a typical, my, my feeling is sometimes you come back and say, oh, I had the best dinner at this restaurant, blah, blah, blah. And so often, it's not that it wasn't good. It probably was fantastic, but... Just being there. Right. It's the people, the, the people, experience. The there uniqueness was, of it. It yeah. adds so much to your overall impression. Yes. Yeah. There was yeah. no Michelin star. There was just regular restaurant. Mm-hmm. But they were just welcoming, warm, and just being around friends and having a good time. And, and the food was definitely yummy. And for a lot of us, a lot of things were new. So yeah. that puts even more fun into the into the game yeah so when we come back let's talk a little bit about the markets because you both had houses right right oh we you didn't. did not no, oh you didn't. didn't so i want to hear about we didn't have a house in portugal we had we were oh you staying. had the house in, in no we were staying in the in an inn well maybe we'll have to hear about that because i, I love the going to shop at the market is half of the fun of going to oh, europe I, I agreed yeah True. so i want to hear what you made chef when we come back on cairo radio more on Portugal and Italy uh, on the Hot Stove Society Show 97.3 FM. Come on, baby. Come on, gal. I'm a boy fishing. Yes, I'm going fishing. And you can come fishing, too. But would you like the sauce in the salad or the sauce on the side? The sauce in the salad or the sauce on the side? The sauce in the salad or the sauce on the side? The sauce in the salad or the sauce on the side? I don't know. All right, here we are back in the kitchen. These are the lovely hostel kitchens at the beautiful Hotel Andra, downtown Seattle, 4th and Virginia. Some landmarks. Uh, Serious Pie is right across the street, along with the Dahlia Bakery. Uh, Palace Kitchen's around the corner. Lola's right downstairs. I'm dying to come here for a staycation after this long trip in Europe. Like, you know, we got some great spots in Seattle. I'm always, downtown is one of them. You know, you could come here and have a nice stay at Hotel Andra and breakfast across the street. And, and You know, as a young chef, when I first went to Europe, my, I had always just heard, you know, how great everything, blah, 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 right? And uh, yeah, three-star restaurants are what they are, yeah. no matter whether you're in New York or, right. or California or Paris, right? But from a day-to-day restaurant perspective, the states do just fine. Oh. Yeah. From that, that perspective. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. Even with three stars, they do perfectly fine, too. Chef, we talked a little bit about the restaurants in Portugal. Uh, you went to also Italy. Uh, and then did you walk some markets? Because yes. that's my favorite thing to do. We wa- I walked two markets. I was a little bit limited on my walking because yeah, of my situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, I walked two markets. I did the... Well, first of all, back to Lisbon, I went to the place called Time Out. Which is, I did uh, too. Time out. Uh, time out market. Yep. Used to be a uh, New York thing, I think. It, uh, it, like the Time Out magazine yes, people? Yes. And they have a TV show and they have cooking demonstrations and that. So talking about a hustling and bustling place. Uh-huh. You, uh, I walked in around quarter to 11 in the morning. It was fine. There was not too many people. The stall was just opening, you know, blah, blah, blah for lunch. Came back an hour later after doing a little tour of the city. 
the place was absolutely mob scene. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I think everybody in Lisbon goes to that place just to have lunch. And the idea is it's a giant rectangle warehouse. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the center are all the table and chairs. And on the outside are restaurants, stalls, basically. And uh, each one of them is different. They all do different things. Did you sit From, on the inside or the outside? I actually, I actually chickened out because there was too many people. Oh, I get scared. That's I fair. was like, he's got to be very careful. Yeah, I got to be fair. careful about the COVID thing. And I was like, you know, it's pushing my luck a little bit. You oh. know, first time around was fine. When I went around, thank God I did go around when there was nobody in the place. Uh-huh. But the, my impression of the place is the kind of place that you and I would love to go because you can walk in front of those stalls and look at the menu and go, yeah, I think I wanted one of these. And then you're done with that. And then you go, well, that's not good enough. Let's keep walking. <laughs> you know, you got to keep looking. But so they anyway, didn't have any grocery stalls at the same? There was no grocery stall. It was so, just eating. So did you ever go to a stall? Or like a, so a, yes. That, so further on to Italy. And then we were in this town called Perugia. And on Monday, uh, I think on Monday, <coughs> they had a farmer's market. And we went to the farmer's market. And uh, <coughs> the typical, you know, small town... Very small town, farmer's market, Monday morning. They open trucks the trucks. roll up. They open the trucks, and one is selling clothes, one is selling plants, and the other one is selling... I know selling you can get a, a beefsteak or a pair of panties right next <laughs> correct, to each other. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. You, just want, you can wrap one into the other. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, the farmers with all the vegetables. I, I, was, I was languishing vegetables because between Portugal and Italy, I felt like I didn't get enough vegetables. Uh, especially after five days of traveling and everything. I was yeah, like, I have felt like you don't see them on the menu as much, but you can always ask for them. That's what, well, that was my biggest surprise. And yeah. my biggest, definitely my biggest surprise was every restaurant you would say, Hey, do you have a salad? Oh yeah. Yeah. We have salad. I'm like, it's not on the menu. Uh, do you have vegetable? Oh yeah. Yeah. We have vegetable. What do you want? I'm like, Pff. anyway. So if you go to Italy or if you go to Portugal, ask, because they have it. They just don't put it on the menu. They don't, I, I, one waiter told me, oh, we don't have enough room on the menu. And I'm like, well, that's a good excuse. <laughs> anyway. Becky, what, did you, what did you think about the market experience? Oh, it was beautiful. It was super fun. There was, um, I love looking at all the fish and yeah. wishing I had a kitchen so mm-hmm. we could do, take it home and do something. I took a ton of pictures. So I was going to say, I saw so much burrata. Salad. Everyone had a burrata. Everyone's got burrata. Yeah. Yeah. It was delicious. I'm a little sick but. of it, but yeah. You know, I always tell people when they come to the Pike Place Market, uh, they, they have that kind of thought, well, I'm, I'm in a hotel. What can I do? And uh, so I tell them, go to Sur La Table, buy yourself a tablecloth <laughs> and maybe a little board and a knife, and then go buy cheese and salami here and cheese there and smoke salmon. You can't buy fresh salmon, but you can buy smoked fish. That's and, a great idea. And then just have a picnic on your hotel bed. Uh, and it's then at the end of it, you have that little memento to take home to remind you of the whole Pike Place Market experience. That sounds wonderful. So anyway, that's what I would have done if I was in Portugal. That's really cool. I like that. Oh, go down the ferry and then... Chef, what was the one food item that you saw in one of the markets that you said, I've never cooked that before. That would be fun to try. That's a good question. Actually, I didn't even think of that. I saw some creepy eels, like big eels. Have you ever cooked an eel? Yeah, there was was some... I've cooked eels before Mm -hmm. at Rovers, but I've never... Yeah, maybe some of those, uh, like when we were in Portugal, they had some of those rock, uh, like clam, or not clam, but... Uh, barnacles? Barnacles. Some of them uh, I never cooked. Like, uh, yeah. 
twirly one with a long... Yeah, why would you want to cook? Oh, my like a, God. Because they're delicious. The hammerhead yeah. barnacles and stuff? They're delicious. I There's tried nothing them for the first delicious. time. Oh, you tried really, them? We did. We loved them. Yeah. Oh, my really God. Good. Well, they, they were cooked, and they were yeah. a little chewy. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're like clams, but without the stomachs. They're kind of like snails. I mean, Just have a little pasta or like something. Snails. You, you don't, don't like snails, snails either, no. so yeah. Because they're very similar. I mean, yeah. they're chewy. And well, chef, you know, I happen to have a few slugs in my yard. You could go, come over and have a feast. There's a big difference between. I'm a refined. There's a big difference between a slug and a snail. Marketing. One, one has a house on his back. <laughs> yeah, Becky has a good point. It's called marketing. marketing. Yeah. Actually, I learned that. No from garlic butter. You had someone at the hot stove a while ago that was doing a snail uh, escargot business. Yes, and over in Squim, I want to say. And I have yeah. to say that I overdid it, and that's what ruined it for me. Really? Yeah. So maybe uh, I, maybe I could try it again, but. Yeah. We had way too many tastes. Way too many tastes of Of, snails. Yeah. uh, Did you have them in garlic butter? Yeah, we had garlic butter, pesto, just too much. Pasta, too much. So anyway, back to the stall at the market, back to what Becky was saying. The seafood out of a truck that just pulled up on the market is quite impressive. I wish we had, back in the old days, neighborhood truck that would come by with the same amount of seafood in my neighborhood because I would definitely buy fish. From a guy who's like honking the horn, opening the stall, get some beautiful, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't care. It's a sand dab, I'll buy the sand dab. They're beautiful, fresh on the ice. They just get, mm-hmm. you know, they're fresh. I'll buy them. I think it's something that we need to bring back to the market is more seafood on ice on the market that's of the day. Cause yeah. You know what I think that American chefs kind of lose track of? Because I don't know what our problem is. I'm including my, myself in the mix, but... Just the simplicity of how to cook the seafood. And just give it a quick grill, douse it with some olive oil and a squeeze of lemon, maybe a little flake salt, and be done with it. And enjoy it for what it is instead of trying to manipulate it. And it's beautiful. It's so tasty. Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, you obviously I can make you a nice, beautiful beurre blanc or whatever, some kind of sauce. Yeah, there is something about grilled, naturally, lemon juice, olive oil, down. Maybe a sprinkle of herb. So you're saying don't use rub with love? I'm saying sometimes don't. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. I've often said that when it came to uh, like Copper River Copper salmon River, right. season. Like, okay, don't put anything on there, right? right. Just a perfect no, way. I agree. The, yeah. beauty, the beauty is already there. Mm-hmm. Don't destroy don't it. Don't mess it up. Yeah. 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 And sometimes- you know, when I did Iron Chef with Chef Morimoto, he made uh, gnocchi out of the salmon. We had these beautiful king salmon <laughs> that he pureed and added flour to and made gnocchi out of. Like, why would you do that to that gorgeous piece of fish? Yeah. You know, so that's uh, why he lost. Well, maybe so, but but point being is like I think we forget sometimes that when you're at those little fish markets, that a truck opening the door is like take that thing. Yeah, you especially see, especially the first time, just eat it for what it is. Yeah, yeah. If you've never you had see a, a, a fish that looks like a, a sea bream or sea bass, you know, and you look at that fish and you're like, what am I going to do with that? Well, just go home, throw it on the grill. You know, it's going to be very simple. Stuff it maybe with some fennel, a little bit of salt, Lemon. pepper, olive yeah. oil. Put it on the grill, and it's going to be tasty as yeah, heck. Exactly. It's like the last time I was in Paris, I was at this uh, meat truck. You know, it's like uh-huh. a fish truck. There's a meat truck, and I was looking at the rump roast up uh-huh. on the counter. The guy just takes a knife, slices a piece of the rump roast off, and hands it to me. Here, try it. Like, That's your style. <laughs> there it is. Ah, There's a slice. Somebody gets your number, obviously. There's a slice of raw rump roast <laughs> yeah. for you to, to try. <laughs> oh, yeah? You want to challenge me? Here, try this. Oh, that's funny. So, okay, so we have so much to do today. We've got lots more to go. Thanks for sharing your guys' uh, impressions of Portugal and Italy. What a fun Sorry you trip. were not there. Sorry I wasn't invited. 
And, uh, you know, most times, Becky, I don't know if you know this, but tables for eight often seat nine. Oh, yeah. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Uh, Charlie's Produce is here, cultivating fresh. Uh, Abigail Lavas is here to talk about Helio juices, the uh, no sugar, no artificial flavors, no preservatives, cold pressed juice. It's sold right here in the Northwest. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Kitchen here at the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. Chef Terry, what do you got a mouthful of over there, Chef? You know, I'm coming back home, so I need to have that beautiful croissant, um, chocolate croissant from the bakery across ah, the street. Ah, there you go. Just to bring me back home. We're welcoming in Charlie's Produce here with Cultivating Fresh. Hello, Abigail. Hello, good Hello. morning. Abigail Lovis is here. Charlie's uh, is the distributor for your juice line called Helio, H E A L E O. I know we sell it over at the Dahlia Bakery. Uh, We love it. And we're trying three different juices here this morning that are like the rainbow. Yes. They are. And so they each have uh, these particular juices. I mean, you sell orange juice, right? And You you just sell. Tell us about your juicing process first, because I think that's super interesting and somewhat, maybe not unique, but more rare because it's more expensive. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a a unique process. So we juice right here in Seattle down in um, Soto. So we have a a mega juicer and we load it with produce and the produce goes in a kind of water bath first to be cleaned and then juice goes up or the produce goes up this ladder and then the juice comes out and then that juice goes into our bottling line uh-huh. and then into bottles it gets labeled right here in seattle and then um the unique part is after that it goes through an hpp process so high pressure processing and what that does is um helps the juice kill any harmful bacteria like right. if you're cooking juice in your kitchen right it's a raw product so there's possibility for foodborne illness so it can be harder to sell a juice like that so what we do is the hpp and what that does is yeah kill anything that could have been you know a bacteria in the juice but since it's never heated it retains all of the nutrients so all it does is put pressure on the bottle it's like imagine that the bottle went in the the bottle do you do it the bottle goes into the hpp machine yeah yeah so like bottled labeled capped that goes into the HPP machine, um, and it's like imagine the bottle goes to the bottom of the ocean, and like that much pressure is. I think it's eighteen thousand psi, so a lot of pressure. Wow. Yeah. yeah, so that um, makes it so that the juice is safe to drink, but keeps all of the nutrients as opposed to pasteurizing it when it juice is heated. That mm-hmm. kills, kills, kills where off you all those nutrients. You kind of get flabby juice, right? You, yeah. you kind of get that. So that, flat, you don't get the vibrancy. Absolutely, yeah, the yeah. flavor and then also all the nutrients. So you're drinking a green juice and you want to make sure you're getting the benefits and if it's heated, 
a lot of those benefits are. That is very cool. On. Yeah, so that's how we make it here locally. So this kind of, you know, in my mind, uh, the whole juicing craze started with Adwala and the whole, like where it became more popular. I'm sure it was obviously long before that, but it became more popular during that phase, maybe 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, this is the, like the top of the line next step. Yeah. What you're, what you're doing. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. I think like cold press is becoming more normalized and using this HPP process is, mm-hmm. is the next step and no added sugars, no preservatives, right? You look at kind of like some of our competitors and adding purees and preservatives and that all makes it cheaper. Um, mm-hmm. And so we use like a hundred percent organic whole fruits and veggies. So like you take the whole head of kale, everything, the core, the stem, every, every part of the produce goes in. The only thing we do is like t- chop the pineapple crown off. That doesn't, mm-hmm. that doesn't make it in the cut. Um, <laughs> but um, everything goes in and the juice comes out and like, that's it. So no shortcuts or adding water, just produce about a pound to two pound of produce per bottle. It's just like, yeah, it's just like juicing uh, it in your house. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then your juices have claims on them. Like uh, mm-hmm. one I saw was a liver, a liver juice. Yeah. Right. I can't remember what the exact name is, but yeah. uh, do you have scientists to kind of develop that for you? Or how do you know that that's a liver juice? Yeah. So these juices actually started back in 2008. There was a Helio juice bar mm-hmm. and it was um, like up on a, Capitol Hill. Yeah, right? in Capitol yeah. Hill. And um, they created juices and vegan food. It was like an all all health cafe. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time they were selling a lot of people were buying juice cleanses. So, you know, buying six juices and just drinking juice for a day or 12 juices for a two day cleanse. Yeah, I don't and- know if you can see me right now, but that's, <laughs> that's never been me. You're looking at the wrong guy. Yeah. Uh, Maybe add it to the. But I'm going to try. Maybe yeah. add it to the vodka. <laughs> yeah. Well, our juices do make great cocktails, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them make awesome fresh mixers. But so back then was when all these Helio recipes were created. Was at the juice bar and selling all the cleanses evolved into let's just bottle these and do distribution to grocery stores because the market is bottled juices. Right now, you gave us these in a particular order. We have three different juices in front of us. Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk tell about us, the color. Yeah, to, <laughs> tell us about why the order, and then do you think are people supposed to drink them like a buffet like this, or do you just drink one flavor at breakfast and one flavor at lunch or whatever? It's kind of personal preference. Okay. So if you're doing a juice cleanse, then you'll be drinking like a bottle every few hours mm-hmm. for the whole day. Um, but otherwise, it's just flavor profile. Our juices are very dense, so I do recommend like half a bottle is enough of a Those serving. Are full of fiber and yeah, yeah. Okay, there's just there's so much produce and you can yeah. taste like you really only need a little bit goes a long way. Even like the orange one, that's our Palm Springs. It's um, orange, grapefruit, turmeric and cayenne. And that one like tastes amazing mixed with sparkling water because there is so much orange and grapefruit in there that like quote unquote watered down. It still tastes awesome. Right. <laughs> but yeah, you guys have a green, green drink is one of our most popular juices. It's, What's that? It's um, apple, spinach, cucumber, kale, um, lemon, all, all the greens. And um, yeah, liver detox is our beet juice. And then a Palm Springs is our, our citrus uh, favorite. <laughs> it's, they're delicious. Good. What's what, your favorite one, Becky? I think I like the green. I was surprised. Good. Um, <laughs> the, the orange one's a little sweet. That would be fun with some seltzer water and make a drink out of it. Um, but I, I think they're delicious. And what do you like about the green? Do you like that it, because I like that it actually, you can almost identify the vegetables in it. We, rather and than I think just we being, nailed it, Terry. Yeah, some of that, what is that green powder that they use in the Oh, matcha? Sarsaparilla. Like oh, oh, I see. Huh? Chlorella? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah where yeah. it just tastes like a big pile of green. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really identify a vegetable. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. It, you, you know what is in there. You mentioned um, fiber. Is there still fiber? Is there water-soluble fiber in it, or how does it, that work? No, so it is like juice and then strained, so there isn't fiber in okay. it. it the, the point of juicing is to get like as much nutrients at one, kind of like flushing your body with it, so you're getting a lot of beets all at once, so it does not have any fiber. Uh-huh. I noticed Tom didn't touch his, but... Well, I haven't quite got there yet. <laughs> you know, beets, uh, beets and I don't get along very well. <laughs> yeah, and then we're lucky that we do make the PCC private label juices also. So if you go to PCC Market, you can see they have a full line of juices also made by us, and those are seven recipes that are unique to PCC. So we've got the Helio line of juices and then PCC, and we're working on some other private label uh-huh. partnerships. Fun. Beautiful. Yeah. Chef, what's your favorite out of that group? <clears throat> I'm going to take the green as well. Yeah. I, I, like, I like the fact that I can really taste all those different greens in there. That's very delicious. It feels good. It feels like I'm eating a salad in a glass. <laughs> that reminds me of the farm. They got into the habit over at our farm. You know, they make dinner every night, and then there's leftover salad. And literally, Dev, our farm manager, would puree the morning after puree the leftover salad. Wow. Croutons, vinaigrette, everything, and have it as a green drink in the morning. So I will take yours from Helio <laughs> yeah, no any day of the week. Wow. <laughs> over that mush bag. Well, Abigail... Thank you so much. Yeah, for thank you so you much. Guys. Thank Look you. for Helio juices in your markets. I'm sure it's, you said PCC. Uh, yeah, I know Dahlia Bakery's got it if yeah, you all want to run there. Metropolitan Market. We've Met got um, a Costco variety pack at the Seattle Costco and the Issaquah Costco. And, uh, yeah, various others. Well, small. Mr. Brotman's father started Costco, right? So that's, uh, <laughs> he had an in there, didn't he? Well, unfortunately, it's not that easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a story for you about that, too, which is kind of funny. All right, we got one more hour to go here on the Hot Stove Society radio show. We're thankful that you joined us, whether you're in your car, your kitchen, or your garden. Uh, we will hang with you for another hour. Stay with us. Sandwich in the morning. Egg sandwich in the night. Egg sandwich at lunchtime. Egg sandwich at lunchtime. Welcome back. Hour number two of the Hot Stove Society Radio Show. We're here in downtown Seattle. Thanks for joining us. Becky Guzak is sitting in the production seat today. She's our producer today. Chef is back from, uh, both of you are back from. Portugal and Italy and Spain. We had so much fun, Tom. You have no idea. Yeah, thank you so much. I've, <laughs> I've, I've uh, secured some ideas of how much fun you've had. Okay. And how much uh, time my to buy your ticket. boiling over for not being invited. First, it's time for Food in the News. And I sent you guys some articles that I had written. And I'm going to ask you both how you feel about this. Uh, because, Chef, you know, you and I have both seen this happen in our restaurants. You more than me, but where you, you work really hard on a dish, you send it out, and next thing you know, you just watch it sitting there while someone fusses around with a telephone or something to take yep. a picture of it. Yep. And that maybe or maybe not, it's still warm when they actually eat it. Yeah. Uh, so Yelp is, beca- is uh, looking for a chief food photographer. You can apply f- for the position um, through October 7th. Submit one entry of up to 10 photos and a 30 to 60 second video sharing why you should be the person chosen for the job. And boom, you're in the running. And they only need one? 
I guess that's right. It, it wow. should be noted that the photos entered have to be images that you've already uploaded to Yelp. So you have to be kind of one of their users. Yeah, you already have to be in which, the game. Are you a Yelp user? No. No, me neither. I can't. I bet Becky is. I don't like public public stuff. There you <laughs> Oh, you're fine. on the radio. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> if you're unsure how to add your photo, Oops. Yelp support page but, is there to but, help. Applicants <laughs> will be judged on their photography quality, social media skills, and overall love for local restaurants. I have local restaurants. You can love me all you want. <laughs> uh, for more details, uh, go to the official rules page. So it sounds more like a contest than a job application, well, that, doesn't I mean, it? And I also it grows Yelp's readership if they're trying to get people to. Right. But it's only one person. Right. But I wonder how many applicants they're going to have. Exactly. That'll be interesting. Oh, they'll have a lot. Yeah. Uh, there's a $10,000 stipend uh, available for their efforts. And it's a two-month program, December 1st through January 30th. So, Chef, in case you're interested in like, changing your profession, now that you don't have restaurants anymore, you can yeah. go out there and take pictures of them. They probably wouldn't like me as a Yelper. Next thing that caught my eye, Chef, was, uh, you know, years back I was down in Portland at Le Pigeon Restaurant. Uh-huh. And Fabulous restaurant. What's his name? I can't remember his name. Rucker. Yeah, D- Darius Rucker. <laughs> no, that's that the was musician. good. That's the musician. Oh, uh, anyway, I don't know where I put It was like off. January, and I got a dish with squab and peas. And I said to him, I, you know, we're sitting at the counter. And he was cooking. And I just said, dude, what's up with the peas? It's January. He says, oh, I get them frozen. And I thought, that's pretty ballsy to be able to say to anyone who walks into this. It was the top rated restaurant in Portland at sure, the time sure. and getting food and wine notice. And he was buying frozen peas for this dish kind of in the off season. Same story with Daniel Boulou. <laughs> Same story with Daniel Boulou. Uh-huh. One of the finest chefs in the like, world. I was dumbfounded when... My favorite dish, and I had there the first time, was this gorgeous, and you were there, Tom. We had, we had lunch yeah. together with Monique Barbeau at the time, and this gorgeous pea soup in spring. Smelled like spring, tasted like spring. Anyway, a year or two later, <laughs> I'm at Daniel. He's having this party right in front of his restaurant, and I'm talking to him and you know, looking around, and, and this lady comes to him, oh, you know, love you, blah, blah, blah. So I move a little bit aside, and she talks to him, and she said, oh, my God, what's the secret of that pea, pea soup? soup? And he goes, oh, I use frozen peas. <laughs> yeah. I, I swear, I was like five feet from him, and I looked at him, and I was like, what? Oh, so, so I, was imagine, I was imagining a bunch of guys in the kitchen peeling those little peas, but no, none of that dream. Like so, you did at Rover's? Say what? Did you do that at Rovers? No, we never no, peeled the no, piece. No, of course not. So this article was uh, re- written by Clarissa Buck Zilberman. I believe it was Food and Wine. And she was revealing the 17 items that chefs always buy frozen. And so the one that really caught my eye, which I agree with, is peas. There's another article talking about the things that chefs never buy frozen. And the one in that group that struck me was scallops. Absolutely. They just do not... They get all stringy. The moisture, you know, leaches out of them. When you look in a grocery store fish case and you see a bowl of scallops for sale, if you see that white milky substance at the bottom. Walk away. Yeah, walk away. Those have been frozen scallops. Unless, uh, hold on, walk away unless you want to poach them. If you want to poach them, it's going to be okay if you don't. You're killing me, chef. High heat. But if you want to seal them, walk away. Yeah, exactly. Walk away. Yeah. Don't even poach them. Yeah, exactly. And then if you do like scallops, look for dry pack scallops. Yeah. And you'll see in the bottom of that same bowl, there's nothing. Yeah. 
They're called a dry pack. They're not punched up. Yeah, with almost sticky. Trisodium phosphate. And my last question, Jeff, <laughs> you and I go back a long time. You know, one of the reasons we like each other so much is that we come from cooking from a totally different place, right? Yep. You are a classically trained, apprenticed French chef since you were 13, 14 years old. I watched and learned and did and, you know, just kind of, I, I don't want to say seat of my pants. It was more intentional than that, but it was, it was more on the job. Yeah, this is who I am and what I do. And I'm not bogged down necessarily by as many traditions as you might have been. I don't think you are anymore. But no. uh, one well, of the thing, the thing that I learned from you, I must say this publicly, is debunking old ideas of restriction. Right. And that's one thing I really embrace. Well, that's why I stayed in this country in the first place, because I realized there was no BS in a lot of cases. And you could debunk things and try something new. And that's what I really embraced about it, and that's why I didn't stay in that box. Right. You, on the other hand, have turned around and come that way. So here's a question for you. I was reading, again, on, online in the news that if you put a cork into the pot of water that you're cooking an octopus in or a, a, a roast in or something that you want to tenderize, that by putting a cork in that water, somehow the enzymes from the cork leach out and they tenderize the octopus and it reminds me of the whole idiotic notion that if you put the pit from the avocado into the guacamole, it doesn't turn brown, which is nonsense. Which is nonsense for sure on so that one. So have you ever done the cork method where you put the cork in with the I've braised? done with and, and without, and I could not find a difference. And that's the problem with this kind of stuff. I want to hear the scientific real, real reason, and I want to see some proof of that because I personally don't believe it. I mean, I hoped it worked. I hope so, too. Because I think that'd be super I got fun. so many corks. Did you see any cork in octopus when you were in Portugal? I saw cork, but what I learned is that the cork bark, when they're harvesting it, it takes in three to five times more uh, carbon dioxide. Yeah. And so then, uh, because the trees aren't being cut down. So then I think, well, if you put the cork in your food, are you releasing all that carbon, all that back carbon into dioxide? The, That's yeah. what I think about oysters. Ah, they kind of clean yeah, our water system, and then you eat the 50, oysters and out of fifty gallons a day. <laughs> and clams, but I love them. <laughs> it's worth it. Anyway, so I'm going to try the cork method. I'm not going to just dismiss it. Okay, but I'm going to try it and let you know. I'm probably going to try mine with like a osabuco or something. All right, next is our uh, part two of our series with Grace Lynn. Her new book called Chinese Menu: The History, Myths, and Legends Behind Your Favorite. American Chinese foods. And American is the wrong word. It just says Chinese foods. Yes. Chinese menu. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Goodness, how delicious, eating goober peas. Peas, 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 eating goober peas. We're back in the kitchen here at the Hot Stove Society, and we're excited to continue our series with Grace Lin, author of The Chinese Menu, The History, Myths, and Legends Behind Your Favorite Chinese Foods. And uh, I related it right to mostly Chinese 
restaurants because that's just i know the menu is a big thing like you know uh that's just what people eat at home or or abroad but to me i kind of relate it to restaurants so so be it i'm a restaurateur doggone it welcome back to the show grace thank you for having me again you are an accomplished author and we're excited to continue the conversation last week we talked a little bit about tea and the importance of tea and is american food american chinese food inferior to Chinese Chinese food. I think we determined that uh, they both have a place at the table. Definitely. So uh, when you go to a Chinese restaurant, uh, generally, I think as a Western culture, we think of, well, I'm going to order spring rolls first, and then I'm going to have my soup, and then I'm going to have my Chinese uh, beef and broccoli, or, or, you know, we kind of think about it incorrectly compared to the traditional Chinese menu. Is that true? Yes. Well, not so much the Chinese menu, but the traditional Chinese cuisine was not served like that, where it's like appetizers, side orders, you know, um, uh, desserts. Uh, they didn't have courses like that. It, what they did traditionally was that um, the main dish, everybody had a bowl of rice. That was kind of their staple. And then they would have uh, three or four uh, dishes on the table. And those dishes were actually considered the sides. And you ate those with your rice or your noodles, depending on if you were in northern China, which was noodles, and southern China, which was rice. So it was really coming here to the United States, these Chinese uh, immigrants who realized that uh, Westerners had this kind of hierarchy of eating of appetizers, uh, main course dessert, uh, and realizing they need to fit their cooking and their cuisine to fit that kind of um, expected uh, order. And so they started moving things around and taking uh, different foods from different areas and saying, oh, this is an appetizer. Oh, this is a dessert. Oh, this is a main course. (laughs) Because even even the sweets would go on the main table with everything else, right? Yeah. Well, usually sweets were just a completely different time, you know, like it was, there was not a dessert course where right. you like ate that afterwards. It's just, it would either be at the same time or just completely different time. So um, it wasn't an, uh, uh, an order of things uh, because there was no appetizers really in traditional Chinese cuisine. Uh, you know, Chinese chefs, they had to kind of uh, become ingenious. And they, so they took a lot of things that were like festival foods and they offered that as appetizers. For example, spring rolls, they're called spring rolls because they're usually eaten at the spring festival. <laughs> so oh. that's why that's, that's their festival food. But now they offer them every day as appetizers. Well, that is so they become ubiquitous, right? And they mm-hmm. definitely are considered uh, an appetizer uh, here. So let's talk about spring rolls for a minute. Uh, Cause I think there's the big confusion that people don't know whether to order egg rolls or spring rolls. <laughs> and I think they'd be surprised to know the difference. Well, they're very similar. Egg rolls are bigger, uh, wider, and they've got a thicker skin and they've been dipped in egg and fried. Spring rolls are thinner. They've got a thinner, crispier skin um, and they're just uh, usually longer, thinner in general. But uh, I mean, it's generally agreed on by food historians, I guess, that the egg roll is kind of a branch or uh, inspired by the spring roll. The spring roll is the inspiration. And so uh, just to be clear, you're saying an egg roll is basically a spring roll that's been dipped in an egg batter? Uh, pretty much and fried. Uh, but, you know, things have changed because, uh, you know, Chinese chefs did not ha- have access to the same ingredients that they did 
in China. So, you know, they adapted, they used different ingredients to get that same kind of uh, feeling. So there's probably more cabbage and stuff in an egg roll than there is in a spring roll, you know, so they filled right. it with different things as well. I see. And the wrapper itself is like a wheat paste on an, I, I think of, you know, what do I know? I'm just a white kid from Newark, Delaware. But I think of the egg roll as being kind of a wheat, wheat paste wrapper and a spring roll being a thinner wheat paste or sometimes even a rice paper wrapper. Yeah, it's definitely a thinner, crispier wrapper, the um, the the spring roll. I'm not 100% sure what it's made out of. I might, my, I'm pretty sure it's rice, but now... Now that you put me on the spot, I don't want to say it without like and have somebody be like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so, but I know it's completely thinner. <laughs> so now uh, uh, sticking on the spring roll, egg roll concept, uh, typically when I go to a Vietnamese restaurant and I have a spring roll or a cha ya, or I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the tr- correct pronunciation is, it's similar to an egg roll, a spring roll, but it's, it has a dip. So yes. uh, here we've gotten pushed into, at the, uh, most American Chinese restaurants, I feel like we're pushed into sweet and sour sauce. But I like the Vietnamese version where it's more of a nuoc cham or like a, a sweet vinegar. Uh, what, what is tradition? Tradition is no, uh, the tradition is that I, according to what I read in uh, the legend, they don't even have any kind of dip. Uh-huh. So the legend of the spring roll uh, the way it was invented was because of a um, Ming Ming Dynasty minister. What happened was uh, this Ming Dynasty minister got his work done twice as fast as all of his colleagues. And since he got his work done so quickly, the other colleagues were very jealous and they accused him of cheating. They went to the emperor and they said, hey, this guy's cheating. There's no way he can get his work done so quickly. So the emperor called this minister to him and said, how do you get your work done so fast? And that's when the minister told him, I have this this gift. I can write with two hands. And that's how I get my work done faster than everybody because I can write with two hands. And nobody believed him. So the emperor said, all right, here's nine boxes of records. Go copy these nine boxes of records in nine days. If you can really write with two hands, that should prove it. So the, the, dentist, the minister brought home these records, opened the boxes up and realized that if he was going to be able to copy all these records, he would have to work night and day, nonstop, even with working with two hands. So he started immediately working, 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 not taking any breaks, not sleeping, not any doing anything, just copying these records. And around like the second day, his wife was really worried about him and said, you have to eat. And he's like, no, 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 I can't. I can't stop working. I can't stop to eat. My hands must keep writing. And she's like, well, then I'll feed you. And she tried to feed him uh, soup and she tried to feed him noodles. And he's like, no, 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 too messy. And so she went to the kitchen and she invented a rolled food so that she could hold and he could bite off and not have to use his hands. And so so that's became the spring roll. So the very first spring roll had no sauce at all because he didn't want to get his records dirty at all. So that is the tradition. That is hilarious. It sounds <laughs> a, a little bit like the chopstick story of how chopsticks came about. And and I, I, we can get that to that another day, but I don't know if you saw recently that the Japanese are playing around with like an electronic chopstick that simulates saltiness or stimulates saltiness on your palate so that you don't eat so much salt. And really? you know, think, uh, reading in your book about chopsticks and where they were, where they came from and how they came to be. And all the way to today where chopsticks are electronically monitored, monitored from your wrist so that you don't eat as much salt. Uh, the history keeps on coming. Yeah. They'll have to be like book two of Chinese yeah, movies. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so we've been talking with uh, Grace Lin. Uh, she's got a new book called Chinese Menu, The History 
myths and legends behind your favorite foods. Uh, and uh, we're going to continue our series in the weeks to come right here on the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. To drink a cup of coffee. Yes, coffee is the thing I'd like to drink. Don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. If you talk to me, then in response I'll see. Coffee, 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 coffee. Here it is. It's the Hot Stove Kitchen. We're turning into a Cafe Vita coffee shop here today. Uh, thank goodness uh, the Sounders, Alex Roldan, has uh, joined up with Cafe Vita to uh, unveil uh, the new Roldan Legacy. Ooh, that's very dramatic. Very dramatic. Sam Spillman is here. She is uh, going to tell us all about it and about you and your job. I've, we haven't had you on since we had the controversy over the burr grinder incident yes I'm where you told recovering. me i had to have one and some lucky person at goodwill got it the next week after i bought it <laughs> he's, been, he's been swearing your name ever since oh my gosh i'm so sorry oh no you're not that's fine uh no i love torturing you about that because it's it's really on me it's just i mean you know, i'm not sophisticated enough for it so tell us about who you and your job and uh and then cafe vita yeah, absolutely. So my name my name is Sam Spillman. I'm the director of coffee for Cafe Vita and your 2019 U.S. Barista champion. Got to throw that in there. <laughs> oh, living on ancient history. Oh, I'm, I'm going to hold on to it as long as I can. <laughs> Keep juicing it. Exactly. I mean, that's the whole point of it. Yes. Um, but basically, I'm in charge of all quality control for Cafe Vita. I oversee... Uh, the quality of green that we're purchasing all the way to what our cafes, uh, the standards we set in our cafes for wholesale and retail locations. And I run our single origin coffee program. You know, when uh, we first opened a cafe sport in 1980. She wasn't born, Tom. I understand. <laughs> 80 something. Uh, Starbucks used to, we were one of their first retail accounts. Starbucks used to come down with a timer and time my drip coffee pots make sure i wasn't holding it too long oh my how things have changed yeah is that what you do for cafe vita yeah i'm that person person. (laughs) yeah i i go in i get in line i start the timer and as soon as i get my drink i stop it Uh and everybody hates me for it but it's fine it's fine it works out yeah but we i'm super excited because the latest in gorgon was actually in collaboration with the seattle um local celebrity alex rolled on he plays for the sounders which is pretty cool um i tried to challenge him to a soccer game and um it's probably good it didn't work out because i would have given butt kicked i'm sure he (laughs) felt really threatened yeah he uh yeah the the eye roll and like nice little smile because he's so kind um said it all so how did you go about that so you know you know all about coffee he knows all about soccer how did you how did you meet in the middle yeah so he reached out to us actually he wanted to collaborate on a coffee his mom is from el salvador his dad is from guatemala and so he wanted to collaborate on a coffee that was representative of where his mom was from in el salvador uh-huh so just out of the blue just reached out yeah he just reached out and um he loved vita being a local coffee uh, roasting company 
And I was like, you came to the right place. Like, this is fun. We can really do whatever you want to do. So I put together a bunch of samples from El Salvador. And we so take, you use beans from those two countries? Just El Salvador. Just El Salvador. Yeah, he wanted to highlight his mom. His dad was a little bitter about it, but it was fine. <laughs> Not <laughs> no, the no, coffee, no. though. The Not coffee, coffee. was bitter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, we, we did cut samples from Guatemala, <laughs> El Salvador, and um, we found one that we all just fell in love with, uh, which is this coffee here. Uh, it's just like a classic, just clean profile of like milk chocolate, nutty, uh, really sweet, kind of like a candy bar, honestly. Uh-huh. Mm. It's really good. Yeah. So it's a lighter roast then? It's a it's lighter milk chocolate, roast. yeah. Yes. Milk chocolate, instead of like that dark cacao, it's like more milk chocolate, sweeter, mm-hmm. approachable. I must say, I'm very impressed by the, uh, I've discovered more and more of Vida, I try more and more of their coffee. Um, I'm very impressed by the fact that they don't do every single coffee beans over roasted. Yeah, no. I'm very impressed by that. Thank you. Vida, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. They have a lot of brown coffee, which that's my, my, my kind of coffee. Yeah. I love the fact that you can still taste the coffee when you drink a cup of coffee. I'm, we're on the same page. We're yeah. going to be best friends. I'm on the, I'm on the yeah. other side of the fence on that one. I'm a darker, <laughs> dark roast guy. Sure. So, uh, so you worked this, you cupped it. Uh, I know I did a couple of collabs with uh, another coffee company in town. Yeah. And um, it's an interesting process, the whole cupping thing oh, and right. getting to a place. You know, we finally ended up in our collab with an aged Sumatra and I would have guessed walking in that I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the aged and the non-aged and all that. But it, there's so much going on in different countries' coffee beans. Yeah. It's a it's a lot like wine. I mean, do you like wine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a huge wine drinker. Um, but <clears throat> We could tell. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Uh, I think, this I think isn't he, coffee. <laughs> I think he beats you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm down for the challenge. Um, but it's very similar to that. Like, the taste is very rep- – if you're roasting it properly – the taste is very representative of the origin it's from, right. mm-hmm. which is super fun. I, is, I love tasting things and yeah. like it having meaning behind it versus just tasting things and be like, oh, yeah, that's good. So or explain bad. yourself. Yeah. So having meaning behind it. When we taste coffee, as you're tasting coffee more and more, there's different nuances that you pick up on. It really like when you're a new coffee drinker, all coffee kind of tastes the same. But as you start drinking more and more, you start seeing these different nuances And it's really cool when you can taste a coffee that was roasted so well to highlight the innate qualities of the Uh coffee. So like I can, and um, I've been doing this for years too, so that helps. But I can tell an Ethiopian coffee from El Salvador coffee, easy. Mm -hmm. Because of the climate the coffee's grown in, Ethiopia is so different than El Salvador uh, that it it develops the coffee differently, highlighting acids and sugars in different ways. Mm. There's when you taste a coffee, it kind of takes you in this journey of not only what are you tasting, but um, what the hard work that was put into it. How is that coming forward? Right. right. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. Like you were comparing to wine. You know, once you start tasting many different wine, like Tom, you can do. Um, you can definitely tell the difference on a blind tasting between a Cabernet and a Pinot Noir. Right. I mean, exactly. that's pretty. It becomes very obvious. After a long time you've been drinking, mm-hmm. you don't know the first time you drink either or you're like, whatever, yeah. it's wine, I'll drink it. So, yeah. but so how much is the terroir versus the roasting? It has a huge impact. And that's why I'm very passionate about how we've been roasting at Vita. When <sighs> a coffee is roasted too much, basically what happens, and I, I'll try to like not go too much into the science because I can nerd out for hours. Uh, but in the roasting process, Uh, There's a process called sugar browning. When heat is added 
the sugars start to brown, which is a Maillard reaction. But as soon as a Maillard reaction happens, um, carbons start to be introduced, which causes bitterness. Uh-huh. And that takes away from the terroir. So it's this balance of highlighting the sugars while not taking it too deep into the roasting. Um, so if you have a well-roasted coffee, the terroir becomes everything you're tasting. What is, uh, you know, so you do all this work, you've sourced the best beans, you've done all this so uh, work with uh, roasting, and, and then you get to the store, and uh, how are you a more successful coffee buyer at the store? So to me, I'll, I always look at the roast on date. Mm-hmm. What's the most that you would ever buy in a grocery store? I mean, if you had the option, right? How old would the coffee be that you would still be okay with? That's a really good question. I, we get this question all the time, and I would recommend within a month of it being roasted. Within a month. Yeah. Actually, if it's, if it's less than seven days after being roasted, there's a lot that you're not able to tap into for the flavor mm-hmm. because it's so fresh. So you kind of want... Even in a gas bag where it changes that much? Mm-hmm. So, really. yeah, it changes so much as it goes. So the first seven days, it's releasing all these... There's like so many gases packed in there, and you want some of those gases to release... Because um, when you add water to ground coffee, the gas is then released and push the water away from the coffee. Mm. Um, so you can actually tap into more flavor if you have like a week off roast to four weeks off roast. Uh-huh. And quickly, can you tell us what the crema is? Yes. Yeah, so crema is a byproduct of the espresso brew method. It is oils and gases. It's beautiful. It's the golden part of the espresso, but tastes awful. That's why when I, I drink espresso, that's my favorite coffee drink. I'll mix in the crema. It gives this nice body to the espresso. But if you scoop off the crema, whew, it tastes very bitter. So this uh, Roldan, let's finish up on the Roldan partnership. He's sending it to his mom. Did his mom, uh, I mean, have you been in any part of the family reaction to the whole thing? I haven't met Mama Roldan yet. I'm hoping one day I get to. Um, but I would say the, the best thing, the coolest thing about this coffee is we are donating a little bit of each bag to the Mangrove Association, which is an organization in El Salvador that is supporting women and helping them um, help giving skills to women so they can pursue their profession, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Have all the retailers <laughs> picked this up so people can find this special World on coffee at Just Vita shops or everywhere? Um, at Just Vita shops, and then I believe... You'll, you'll be able to find it at some of our wholesale partners, but Vita Shops are the best place to find it. Our KEXP location, every Friday at 10 a.m., I host a cupping, and we have this on the table. Uh-huh. Come through. Come hang out. Come taste some coffee I would love to us. do that. Yeah. Where is this? Like it's at our KEXP cafe at, oh, in yeah. the radio station, yeah. I'll even spin a few records if you'd like. I would love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. we'll get it all set up for you. All right, it's time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia. Are you going to stay and play? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Good. We like that. Fresh meat, as we call that. Right, Chef? Yeah. Terry's been off for two weeks, so he's a little rusty. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. They've got a zillion tons of coffee in Brazil. No tea or tomato juice. You'll see. Like sour cream cheese filling and the sweet topping, all on that crisp pastry. Mm-hmm. You can't define these in a recipe. You can only know them. All right, we're back in the kitchen on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. Time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. 
They'll bring a blast of deliciousness to every dish with versatile flavor profiles. Try the salmon rub on ribs. Oh, my God. The pork rub on chicken. Can't be. Or the fish taco rub on braised greens. So delicious. You can find Rub With Love around the country, like AJ's Markets in uh, Arizona, Kowalski's in Minneapolis, or at our locations here in Seattle, Seatown and Pike Place Market, Sirius Pie Ballard, and right here at the Hot Stove Society Show, or go to Tom Douglas and Co. to order some. And by the way, the restaurant that I was talking about, uh, La Cabana, thanks to one of our paparazzi that are here today that covers Sam Spillman, who has stayed to uh, play trivia with us. Yes. Did you win the last time you were here, or did you play? I always win. You always yeah. win. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't even think twice about that, did she? <laughs> the good news is uh, Becky is our uh, guest producer today, and I get to play today. And I haven't played, which means everyone else has been winning. So now that I'm playing... <laughs> you're either rusty, or we'll see. We'll see. We'll I see. I think you're going to be... And I believe that we are... Uh, Living in Portugal for this, this particular... This is a Portugal-themed quiz, for sure. Okay, good. Like oh, my it. God. Here we go. <laughs> so, uh, how do we play? We're going to have five questions for each contestant, and the winner, the one who gets the most right, is the winner. And they get a little shop in our gift shop of three free spice rubs, or they can give it to one of our outstanding radio Aww. guests here today. So, <laughs> Sam, there's just a little pressure. Okay, I'm a little, <laughs> right. a little nervous. Are you guys ready? We're ready. ready. Let's start with Chef in the Hat. You go. Okay, Terry, this is going to be an easy one because we talked about it earlier. Okay. Please describe what a pastel de nata is. Oh, it's a pastry with a little egg flan in the middle, and that's baked that way, and it's delicious. You pronounced flan incorrectly, so nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a fun fact. Over 300 years ago in a monastery west of Lisbon, monks developed the recipe to do something with their surplus egg yolks as they used egg whites to do the laundry. Nice. Wow. Mm. Interesting. True or false, in the 1500s, it was Portuguese traders and missionaries who brought the tempera technique of fritter cooking with batter of flour and eggs to the Japanese. That is true. It is true. That would be a hard one to make up. That's <laughs> yes, that would I'll be take a note of that one. <laughs> yeah. that, would be, that would be a lot of, uh, no. Yeah. Okay. That's so which one of these wines are not Portuguese? Okay. Vino Verde, mm-hmm. Chocoli, or Madeira? Uh, Chocoli. Correct. And where is Chocoli from? Italy. It's from the Basque region of Spain. Oh. But you still get the point. I was close. You, don't, you just don't get the bonus. <laughs> I jumped into a different country. Sorry. You were right in the same continent. That's right. Please fill in the blank, and I'll give you a clue. Blank. <laughs> Portugal is the world's largest producer of blank. Clue, it comes from an oak tree bark that is one of the most sustainable materials available Cork. today. You got it. Because the tree doesn't need to be cut down to harvest this. Okay, your final question. Portuguese sardines are world-renowned. They are often served in a sauce made from what type of fruit that adds a sweet and tangy flavor to the dish? Fruit. Thank you. I'm going to go tomato. You got it. She nice tried to trick work. you there. She was that. tricking I was. me. But, yeah. So you got five out of five. Wow. Ooh. wow. Good thing you just went to Portugal. Wow. Okay, like, Sam, we got work to do. Okay, Sam. Sam. Okay. Now you get you the joke. Stretching out. Yeah. Yeah, okay. What is the name of Portugal's most famous fortified wine? Portugal's most fav- famous fortified wine. Uh, she's got that look on Wait, her face. How like do you spell Chianti. No. <laughs> Port. Port. Oh, yeah, that, would, that, would, that makes sense. That's, all right. Yeah. That's all right. She only drinks coffee. That's I only right. drink wine. coffee. Yeah. <laughs> True or false, paella was invented in Portugal. False. That is false. It was Spain. And actually, Bridget did a really good piece on the history of 
on a couple weeks ago. Multiple choice, the world's oldest, largest cork tree is in southern Portugal. It's estimated to be around 236 years old, stands over 45 feet tall, and has a trunk diameter of over, the, over 13 feet. Approximately, how many corks has it produced in its lifetime? 100 million, 500 million, or over 1 million? Over 1 million. You yeah. got it. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> you are taking up right where Pam Hinckley left off. I've, I've learned from the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> what traditional Portuguese dish combines black olives, garlic, cilantro, and olive oil? It's often used as a topping or dip. I'm going to say queso. Tapenade. Okay. Yeah, it's totally off. Totally I'm off. Tapenade. Tapenade. Okay, Tapenade. Go. I'm learning so much. Thank oh, you. Good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Historically, this is your final question. Okay. Historically, Portugal has been one of the largest producers of sardines in the world, with annual catches reaching several tens of thousands of metric tons. Can you name one of the nutritional health benefits sardines contain? Iron. Yes. Did I get it right? Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, Iron. my gosh. Omega-3, protein. <laughs> you got it. Amazing. I think, I think iron was the last one, but you got it. <laughs> it's in there. <laughs> they always iron their protein. Yeah. Omega-3 was the well, one. I'm bouncing out for all the other times I won. Yeah, uh, so I understand. Yeah. I just want to give you all you a You just chance. want to make us feel yeah. better. Yeah. That's very kind Absolutely. of you. You'll come back come and back. not kill us. That's nice. Yes. Okay. Okay, Tom, you're back in the hot seat this week. True or false, just like the potentially fatal puffer fish... When prepared by an extensively trained and licensed chef, the venomous Portuguese man-o-war is also considered a delicacy. Oh, God, they hurt so bad. Yeah, I would, I'm sure you're right, but yes. No, it's completely false. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> it's, they hurt so bad. Yeah, that would be terrible. <clears throat> In Portuguese cuisine, what is bacala? Uh, dried cod or salted cod. You got it. Mm-hmm. In addition to the gin and tonic... The port and tonic cocktail is all the rage in Portugal. Which contains more alcohol, gin or port? Gin. Got it. 50%, about 50% for gin and 20% for port? Yep. Well, yeah, most American gin, you know, it's on the market is 80 proof, so 40%. 40%, Yeah, yeah. gotcha. And most port is around 20%. Vindaloo is a popular Indian dish, particularly in the region of Goa. True or false? This dish was actually introduced to Goa by Portuguese sailors back in the 1500s. Absolutely true. Yes, look at both of you. Yes. On your head. Goa is the Portuguese capital of India. I think you two gentlemen are, you have a chance of tying. No, he got five out of five. I already got one wrong. Oh, I thought you, I gave you the puffer fish. Oh, you did? It's completely false. Yeah. I said true. true. (laughs) Okay, never mind. Am I still in the running? No. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Right now you you are. Three, three. Final question. (laughs) What is the term for the skillful technique of filleting and deboning sardines while keeping them intact for cooking or presentation? Um, you're a better chef than me. <laughs> Butterflying. Yes. Yes. But yeah, I, I would never have... You wouldn't but- take time to butterfly sardines? No. No. Certainly no. <laughs> You'd have to be an awfully nice friend, like my wife. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but she likes them whole. She eats the whole oh. fish. Yeah, she bones okay. and everything. Well, Terry, good job. Welcome oh, home. Nice, nice Thank win, you. Chef. You Welcome are the home. winner. If you want to be part of the show, to... like uh, uh, join our community on YouTube Live at Tom Douglas & Co. or buy a ticket to join us in the studio right here like these lovely folks did today. The show is produced by the Tom Douglas team, including Liz, Sean, Becky, Loretta, and our talented editor at Cairo is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. 
Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.